Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Bibles, if you have them, or your phone, or pad, or whatever your device is that you read the Word on, turn to Romans, the fifth chapter. We're going to start reading with the ninth verse, and I'm going to be reading in the Amplified Classic Edition, and you follow along whatever translation you have. Romans 5, 9, Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain now that we are reconciled that we shall be saved daily delivered from sin's dominion through his resurrection life. How many knows we have resurrection life yeah. dwelling in us? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And he said here in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to straighten our lives out. He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to turn to him or do anything. He, he died before all of that. And then verse 11 says, not only so, but we also rejoice and exultingly glory in God in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation. We're reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ, by the blood that he shed. It brought us reconciliation justified and brought into right relationship uh, with God, reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's shouting ground right there. To be reconciled to God who we were estranged from all those years, couldn't have fellowship with God because of what Adam did in the garden, and Jesus turned that all around, reconciled us back to God, and now we can have fellowship with God, not only here, but in his house. Yes. We can go to the throne room of God and fellowship face to face with him because of what Jesus did. And I know we've been talking about the blood for the past few weeks, and I, I really did. I tried to move on. I started doing a, a message on the Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, but I kept coming back to the blood. I kept being drawn back to the blood. I would see passages of scripture that mention the blood and it would take me right back in that direction and I you know I'm, I'm not real lightning fast but after a while I catch on and I think well maybe God wants me to continue talking about the blood a little longer and so that's what I'm going to do I'm going to continue teaching on the blood until I feel a release and then I can move on to something else but I, I want to start this morning by looking at the temptation that Jesus endured in the wilderness as a matter of fact it has been titled by many Bible scholars and even some translators it might be in your Bible at the top of the paragraph or the top of uh, where it starts talking about it it will say the great temptation so this was the great temptation of Jesus and uh, these Bible scholars and these translators that say it's a great temptation I don't want to be, I, I don't mean to be obstinate, but I don't agree with him. I don't think that was Jesus's greatest temptation, and I'm going to show you why in a minute. How many knows there's some things that's in the Bible ain't part of the Bible? Like when the, when the uh, translator puts a heading on it, it's not necessarily that, you know? Uh, like uh, the book of Acts, someone put uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And that's, you know, that's pretty accurate. It's, that's what the book is about. It's talking about all the things that the apostles did in the book of Acts. And so I don't have a problem with that, but I don't want you to accept something like that as doctrine. 
unless it's within the confines of the word itself, don't accept it as doctrine. Amen. So uh, we're going to look at these temptations and uh, the temptation that Jesus endured in the wilderness uh, is recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded the temptation in the wilderness. John didn't, but his Gospel is different anyway. But Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost, we might say. And then the Bible says he was immediately led into the Spirit, uh, led in the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tested, and tried of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Mark said he was actually driven. Mark said he was driven into the spirit, into the wilderness after he was filled with the, with the spirit of God. So I'm beginning to wonder, maybe God wants us to be tested and tempted and tried at times. And there's a reason for it. God doesn't do anything without reason. If God tells us something in the word, there's a reason, there's a purpose for it. And it's up to us to find out what that purpose is and what that reason is. But, uh, you know, what would be the benefit of being tempted, tested, and tried? We think that's all the work of the devil, but the, the devil's on a leash. He's on a short leash, and God's the one jerking it. Amen? And so he doesn't do anything unless God approves of it, especially to his children. But... James says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers' temptations, uh, knowing this, that the testing, tempting, trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. So when the temptation, when you overcome the temptation, or you come through it successfully, you come out lacking or wanting nothing. In other words, you're Fulfilled. I mean, this could be a prosperity scripture right here. But James says that uh, let patience have her perfect work, but it's not the kind of patience that you think it is. It's not the patience where, well, I'll just sit here and wait until it comes. I'll just wait till the man-man gets here, and I'll be patient while I'm waiting. No, it's not that kind of patience. This patience is, is uh, comes from a Greek word that actually means Endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. Endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. And it makes more sense this way because we overcome our temptations, our tests, our trials, our temptations through endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. That's what it takes to get through a trial. That's what it takes to get through a test, a temptation. I mean, you don't just sit there and wait for it to pass like we would think if we use our definition of the word patience. So the Bible says Jesus was tempted by the devil himself personally, face to face with the devil. He wasn't going to take a chance and send a, send a little green-skinned, cross-eyed, snotty-nosed little imp with warts all over him to tempt Jesus. That's who he tempts you with. But he wasn't going to take no chances with Jesus. He's going to do the tempting himself. And we think that he fasted for 40 days and then the devil came to him with those three temptations that he brought him. But that wasn't the first time that he tempted Jesus. That was just the last three temptations. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 4, for we have not a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, such as we are, and yet without sin. So every temptation known to man, past, present, and future, Jesus endured it. Jesus suffered it. Jesus was tempted by it. Everything, everything that you can think of being tempted by. Women, he was tempted. Money, he was tempted. He was tempted from all the things that were tempted, with, and yet without sin. We can't say that. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded his last three temptations. But I'm telling you, the devil was pounding on him for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'll guarantee you, he was relentless. And you think he's been on your case. 
The devil comes to him at the end of his fast, 40 days of fasting. Not only fasting, but in the wilderness. I think my greatest fast was three days. And that was in the comforts of my home. And that was uh, just from salad food. And that was drinking juices and liquids. Jesus is in a desert. It's probably over 100 degrees. Now, I'm sure he had a source of water because he's human. You can't go without water for 40 days and 40 nights. But you can without food. Matthew, where you at? Is this working? Praise you, Jesus. Just every time I get on the devil's case. <laughs> yes. We rebuke him and bind him in the name of Jesus. He's not going to mess with this yes. sound system. Praise the Lord. But the devil comes to him at the end of his fast. The Bible says that Jesus was a hungry. In other words, he was angry. He was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. And what's the first temptation? Food. The devil says, first of all, he tries to get you to doubt. He said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And, you know, he's saying, are you really the son of God? you got to really ask yourself, why am I going through this if I'm a son of God? And, and, you know, you know you're hungry. And if you're the son of God like you claim to be, then you can just command these stones to be made bread and then eat. And Jesus says, it is written. See, he comes back with the word. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. That's what we live on, the word of God. Yes. Amen. And now he's talking about spiritual food and spiritual nourishment. And he knows that this is how he's going to defeat the devil. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when the temptation came for David, he had a word in his heart. Yeah. Don't mean he always listened to it, but that word would come up. And that would be what he would defeat the devil with. And Jesus being in the lineage of David, he knew this. He knew that the devil was going to be defeated with the word. He was going to get through his temptations and overcome them successfully because of the word. Yes. Spiritual food, spiritual meat. So then the devil took him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms and the glory thereof. But I want to bring out a point. He said that he's seen all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. In other words, it didn't take very long to see the devil's kingdom. But uh, if it wasn't his to give, Jesus would have refuted it. But he didn't. So it was the devil's to give. There's been some doubt about that down through the years. Uh, and people say, look at there, he's trying to give Jesus something that he already owns. No, it was his, and it was his legally. Adam gave it to him. Adam gave him his authority and his dominion, and now he's exercising, and he's telling Jesus, if you'll bow down, I'll give you all these kingdoms and the glory thereof. He was appealing to his pride now, the pride of life. I mean, the first temptation was lust of the eyes. This one is the pride of life. And so he's trying to get Jesus to bow down to him because he wouldn't have had to give him the kingdoms of then because Jesus would have sinned and Jesus would have failed. And so Jesus responds to him again uh, with the word. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thy serve. I mean, that was the commandment. You couldn't have any false gods, any other gods before you. And if he'd have bowed to the devil, he would have broken that commandment. So then the devil brings him to Jerusalem and sets him high up on the pinnacle of the temple. And again, he says, if thou be the son of God... Cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus says again, he comes back with the word again, and he says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he, the Bible says that 
the devil departed him for a season. For a season. So even after the victory, you know, between every mountain is a valley. So now Jesus was in the valley. Now he's on the mountain. But get ready because another valley's coming. Amen? The devil's not going to give up on you because you overcome a couple temptations here and there. He's going to come back again. Yes. And it's usually when you're weak and when you're hungry. Yes. And when you're exposed like Jesus was. But here's the point I want to make. What Jesus faced in the wilderness, like I said, it was called the great temptation. And as great as it was, and it was great, there's no doubt about it, I don't believe it was his greatest temptation. I believe Jesus faced his greatest temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look at that in a minute if you want to turn there to Luke chapter 4, I believe it is. But I know, I mean Luke 22. I know I'm talking about temptations, but it's not my subject this morning. Well, you sure have been spending a lot of time on it. Yeah, it's necessary groundwork for what I want to teach on this morning. I actually want to preach about, and this will be the title of my message, Brother Joe, Justification through the blood of Jesus. That's what we started out with in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Justification through the blood of Jesus. And justification does have a relationship with temptation, and we'll see that in a minute. Not only for Jesus, but also with us. And that's why we're looking at some of these temptations that Jesus faced and experienced in the wilderness, and then here in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. But before we realize the value of justification, I think we need to have a thorough understanding of its meaning. That's what I'm going to try to show you today. We need to know what it means to be justified. In Luke 22, verses 39 through 44, this is in the King James, it says, And he came out and went as he want to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also follow him. Now he's coming from the upper room where they just partook in the last supper or uh, the, the last communion supper that Jesus would have with his disciples on the earth and they leave there they cross the Kidron Valley they come up to the Mount of Olives and go into the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and that's where he decided to pray. But that was what he did as a custom. He was always going yes. to that mountain and praying. And it says that his disciples followed him. I could just see him crossing the Kidron Valley, Jesus in the lead, and well, little ducklings right behind him. And then in verse 40, it says, And when he was at the place, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneel down and pray. And he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And this shows us that the Father's will and the Son's will was different at this point in time. And Jesus and the Father were always like this. They never disagreed. They never differed on anything. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, always in agreement. But here, Jesus' will is different than the Father's, or he would have never said, not my will, but thy will be yes, done. Amen. So it shows us they both have a will, yes. and they could both do whatever they want. And God would have stood behind Jesus. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then... Uh, verse 43 says and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him I mean Jesus is going through it here God sent an angel to help him to strengthen him and then ver verse 44 says and being in an agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now I believe that this is the greatest temptation that Jesus ever experienced. 
And it's also the greatest example of justification that I've ever seen or could ever find anywhere else in the Bible. Jesus is about to be beaten, mocked, spit on, humiliated, whipped beyond recognition, and hung on a cross. He's facing both physical and spiritual death. And, and I don't know if you understand that fully or not, but spiritual death, Jesus wasn't afraid of physical death. He wasn't afraid of the pain and suffering that he was facing. He was concerned about being separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity. Jesus was with him in the beginning and we don't even know when that was. That was eons and eons ago. But Jesus was with his father all that time, never separated. And now he's gonna be separated from his father for the first time in eternity and with no guarantee of ever seeing him again. Jesus had to go to the cross in faith. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked for him. And so he's going to the cross in faith. He's believing that he's innocent. He's believing that he'll be rectified and reconciled and raised from the dead and returned to heaven. But he don't know for sure. He's going by the scriptures he read. And I'll guarantee he spent a lot of time in the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah talked about him and... and uh, Described him more vividly than anybody else, any other prophet did. But we can't deny that he, was, he wasn't tempted. Because he asked the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. And that cup was filled with all of the degradation, the sin, yes. sickness, and yes. disease, and everything that mankind brought. Everything that mankind could have carried was in that cup. And Jesus couldn't wear it to the cross. He had to take it in. He had to drink it and take it in to himself. He had to become that. It's like drinking a deadly communicable disease. You know, when you put it in you, it's going to kill you. And Jesus had to drink that cup. And he's asking the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. So he wouldn't have asked that if there wasn't the possibility of the cup passing. Can you understand that? Yeah. But here, he, he's in such agony that he's facing this horrible death and he's facing separation from the Father. And I'm convinced that this is where he faced his greatest temptation because he was tempted to call the whole thing off and he would have been justified in doing it. He would have been justified. He could have called it off. And if he did, he would have been justified in doing so. And he, because he could have said, I don't deserve this. I didn't commit any sins. I'm innocent. And he could have been justified. And he could have just went back to heaven. So his temptation is in the wilderness was great. And I'm not trying to minimize that in any way, but... I believe this was his greatest temptation when he was uh, uh, tempted to resist having to call it off. He says, I know I could just call this off. I won't have to go through any of this and my father will receive me back in heaven. But where does that leave humanity? Where does that leave us? See, he could have easily justified himself and avoided all that pain, all that suffering, all that separation, all that uncertainty. He could have left it all behind and went back to heaven because he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to come down here and die for you. He volunteered. Yes, amen. You know, uh, God says, who shall we send? And Jesus says, send me, I'll go. Amen. And so a body has thou prepared for me. And he prepared that body in the, in, in the womb of that little virgin by the name of Mary. Yes. And Jesus, the word, come down to the earth. And he took on man's sinful flesh and dwelt among us. And we got to behold his glory. Amen. But a few minutes after he finished praying, a band of Roman soldiers and the religious leaders of the Jews came to arrest him. And when they did, Peter drew his sword off and he lops off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants. Yep. And Peter told the Lord before this, and I think it was... In Philip, uh, Caesarea Philippi, when they were on a retreat, and Jesus says, who, does, who do men say that I am? And then Peter got that great revelation. 
And, and, and then Jesus began to describe his fate and being crucified. And, and Jesus, uh, Peter said, no, no, not, not so, Lord. He said, I will die for you. Yes. He just proved it right here that he was willing to die for Jesus. Because Jesus told him, put up your sword. Yes. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. That's right. And then he picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back on the dude. Peter split. But here's something Jesus said that's really interesting. He said, don't you think that I can pray to my father and he would immediately send me more than 12 legions of angels? Yes, 12 legions. That's close to 80,000 angels. Jesus said they were at his disposal, standing by ready, waiting for his word. Isaiah tells us that one angel, one, come, one angel went into the Assyrian camp and slayed 185,000 Assyrians. Yes. One angel. Here he's got 80,000 in readiness, uh, standing by to get to work. If they would have come down here, they would have swept all of humanity off the face of the earth, right into hell where they belong. One word. That's why I said he could have gave that word and been justified doing it. Yes. Are you beginning to see the power of justification? Yes. Jesus could have said, hold it, hold everything. I'm innocent. Remember we looked at last week that he went to the slaughter and he kept his mouth shut as a lamb to the slaughter. That's why he kept his mouth shut. If he'd opened his mouth, it would have been over. He could have said, I'm innocent. I'm sinless. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have to bring forgiveness to this ungrateful humanity that's mocking me, beating me, Nailing me to a cross. I don't have to bring forgiveness to them. He said, I'll call on my father right now. And he'll send angels and sweep everybody into hell. And I'll be justified in doing it. He didn't say that, but I'm just filling in the blanks. But instead of doing that, he said, how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? If I do that, how then shall the scriptures that I've been studying and meditating on, how shall they be fulfilled? Because I know it is my mission, it's my purpose to come here, sacrifice myself, and save humanity. Bring justification and reconciliation to humanity. That's my job. That's what I'm here for. Thank God he did that. And in other words, he was saying, nevertheless, not my will... But thy will be done. Amen. It was the Father's will. It was the Father that bruised him, that tied him to that whipping pose and whipped him, and then took him to the cross and nailed him to the cross. It was the Father that did that. Why? Because he had the big picture. One seed planted into the ground died, and it brought forth a harvest, and we're sitting here today. Millions of, of yes. Christians all over the world yes. saved because of that one seed going into the ground yes. and dying. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. In his greatest temptation, he chose to release forgiveness when he could have been justified if he didn't. You know, millions of people walk in unforgiveness. Every day. And a lot of them are Christians and know better. And yet they have unforgiveness in their hearts. And they justify themselves. And think that they're right in walking in that unforgiveness. When God specifically told us to love our brothers and sisters. Love our neighbors. And he said if you don't forgive your brother I won't forgive you. I mean how much clearer can it be? And yet we harbor unforgiveness and our hearts and think we're justified but it's wrong she cheated on me so I'm cheating on her uh -oh. 
I cheat on my taxes because the government is always cheating me. Justified. I steal from my boss because he doesn't pay me enough. Then quit and get another job that pays more. I didn't tell the cashier that she undercharged me on that item because Walmart's prices are too high anyway. Oh. Justify it. They, we, we justify the things that we do. Well, I can walk in unforgiveness towards him or towards her because what they did is unforgivable. Not according to God. But we get that in our hearts and we think that we're justified in doing it. There can't be a penalty for this because they deserved it. I'm justified in the way I, I feel. No, we don't walk by feelings. And you know, you can justify just about anything, and people do every day, always justifying things. But it doesn't mean it's the best or the right thing for you to do. If anybody would have been justified in their doing, it would have been Jesus. He would have been justified yes. for real. Yeah. And I think he's probably the only one that's ever lived or ever will live that could honestly be justified in doing something like that. I hope you're starting to understand a little bit about the power of justification. Yes. And this justification was through his blood. That's what we read. Jesus refused to be justified so that he could justify us. See, if he, if he justified himself and justified his position and went back to heaven, we could never be justified. We can never be made righteous. We can never be reconciled back unto God. And he knew it. And he knew that was his mission. And that was the big picture. That was more important than what he had to go through. Yeah. Not that what he went through wasn't important. It was. But, you know, he, he did all the suffering. He went through all the pain. He did all the bleeding. And we're the ones that get justified. How's that fair? <laughs> I know this is a lot. Okay? But don't spit it out. Just chew on it for a while. Jesus justified us through his blood. And in the last days, the days that we're living in right now, there has to be an increased awareness yes. and understanding of the power that is in the blood of Christ. That's yes. why I've been spending the last three weeks preaching on the blood of Christ. And I'm going to show you a, a few things that it does here towards the end. But why is the blood of Christ so important? You know, uh, everything is on the basis of the blood. Yes. Without the blood, there would be nothing. We would have no church. We would have no covenant. We would have nothing. No promises, nothing without the blood. It's all on the basis of the blood. And it started that way. And up until the time of Jesus, the only way a person could be forgiven, and even then it was on a temporary basis, is by them bringing an acceptable offering to the temple or to the priest, sacrificing that animal, and that priest, the representative of the people, would take the blood of that sacrifice into the... Uh, tabernacle, the holy place, the temple, and he was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Yes. And if that uh, blood was accepted, then that person's sin was only atoned for. Yes. And it was only for a year. Right. There was no type of permanent redemption, no type of permanent reconciliation. And even then, after he got atoned, he still couldn't approach the Father. That's right. He couldn't have access to the Father. Now, I know it, talking about the blood sounds icky to a lot of churches, and a lot of churches won't preach about it, won't sing about it for that reason, because it would upset the people. It would offend people. But 2,000 years ago, this was a very common thing. Amen. Satanists still do live sacrifices today. That's right. Many religions still do live sacrifices today and some of them do human sacrifices I mean that's the ultimate you can't offer Satan anything better than a human sacrifice 
And in Jesus' time, the, the sacrifice of children was really big. Yes, it was. They would offer their children on an altar as they worshipped a demon god by the name of Molech. Yes. Yes. He was the fire god. Yes. And the only thing that pleased him was little children. And they had several renditions of that. They would have a, a statue of Molech, and his arms would be out like this, and they'd lay the baby in, a, in his arms, and there'd be a fire blazing underneath him, and they'd burn that baby alive. Yes. Sacrifice of babies. I could go south here right now, but I'm not gonna. But I'm telling you, it's, it's going on now more than it's ever done. Come on, that's right. Human sacrifice is big. Yes. It was big in Baal worship. Yes. Matter of fact, you know, they, they had this celebration over in Europe. And uh, they had this big brass bull. And he was hollowed. And he would come out, and it was an image of Baal. That's what, that's what the bull was. He would come out, and they would make a human sacrifice. They would build a fire... Uh, underneath the belly of that bull, but the only thing is, it was a trap door, and they had a human being in there, and and the smoke from that sacrifice, and the groans, and the cries, and the screams would come through that bull's nostrils, and people would think that he was alive, and he was talking, but actually, it was they were roasting a human being on the inside of it. That was just a couple of years ago, and it was done on national television. Um, I better not say anything else about that, but we're still doing it today, more than ever. They either already did or they're getting ready to sign a bill into law in a, uh, a state that's all the way to the left. That they can abort rhymes with maybe up to 28 days after birth. Yes. 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 Signed the governor's desk. He either already signed it or he's about to sign it. But anyway, God allowed these animal sacrifices so he could bring atonement. It was a blood sacrifice that was offered to God that covered a person's sin. But it was not a long-term solution. It had to be done over and over and over again. Uh, and the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse us from our sins. It would only cover them or atone them for a short period of time. And, and we realized something else is needed. We can't go on like this. I don't want you coming to church every Sunday. Everybody got a lamb and I got to sacrifice that lamb and pour his blood on the altar every Sunday. No, we had to have come up with a solution where we could do it one time forever. Amen. And that's what God did for us. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In uh, Romans 5, 18 and 19, it says, and this proves that Jesus went willingly to the cross. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That was Adam's offense. And we were all judged for it. Resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That was Jesus, the second Adam. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous or justified. And that's exactly what justification did for us. It made us righteous. And just as sin entered the world through one man, the price for sin was paid by one man. The sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross when he poured out his soul unto death, he poured his life out at the foot of that cross through his blood, that was the payment. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is... Uh... Help me, Brother Dickman. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Eternal life. What a swap. Yes. 
And when we stop teaching and understanding the price that was paid for our salvation, the, 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 you can't even put a price on the blood, but how precious that blood is. When we stop preaching about it and singing about it, it becomes cheap and worthless. And that's the way it is in a lot of churches. It's cheap and worthless. I spent a long time in a, in a denomination that, that didn't preach on the blood, didn't sing on the blood, about the blood or anything. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why we have so many Christians that are not strong in their faith and won't stand up for the things of God. That's the trouble with this whole, I think I'd say nation. That's the trouble with our nation today. It's getting better. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It's getting better. People are beginning to stand up. But we went years and years without standing up. Yes. And no wonder the country's in the mess that it's in today. When they wanted to take prayer out of school, we didn't stand up. Yep. When they wanted to take the Ten Commandments out of public places, the nativity scenes, and any mention of Jesus Christ, we didn't stand up. Yep. We just took it and took it and took it. Yep. Now we're willing to stand up, but we're way behind. Yeah. But we're coming up. Hallelujah. Yes. We have to understand the power that's in the blood. That's what's going to cause us to stand in the last days. And I believe their spiritual growth is stunted because of their lack of understanding of what the blood of Jesus truly did for us. We don't truly understand the benefits of having the blood of Jesus applied to our life. And until we do, it will be esteemed lowly and considered cheap. We don't understand the value of it. You know, that's why Jesus said, uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because they'll trample them underfoot and then turn yeah. and rend you. That's right. Why? They don't understand the value of, yes. of pearls. That's right. And I believe it was talked about the word, you know. If, if I know somebody's going to trample my word, when I give somebody the word, and I know all in advance they're going to yes. trample it underfoot yes. and then attack me for it, yes. I don't give it to them. Yes. I don't have to. I'm justified not doing it. Why? It's cheap to them. Yes, it is. It's That's worthless right. to them. They don't That's esteem right. it very highly. That's right. And it's not my word I'm giving them. It's God's word. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not going to put God's word to them and, and let them trample it. That's right. But the number one benefit and the one that we should all be eternally grateful for is the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is what causes us to be forgiven. It's what causes us to be justified. Yes. Our opening scripture said we're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ or by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so instead of Jesus using justification for himself, he used it to justify us by his blood. Yes. And one preacher said it like this. When I, apply, when I apply the blood of Jesus to my life, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Right. It's justified, never sinned. Yes. It's just as if I never sinned. Yes. Man, that's powerful. You don't realize yeah. how powerful that blood is. Amen. Because when you're justified, your slate is wiped completely clean. Yes. No, no sign of sin anymore. And if it were not for that precious blood of Jesus, we would not be able to stand before God today and even have a personal relationship with him. Amen. It's the blood that draws us nigh. Yes. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yes. And not only does it forgive us our sins, but it also cleanses us from the stain of sin. And yes. I'm telling you, sin has an ugly stain. Yes. yes. Hallelujah. It's like, what is that? Shout? Shout it out. Yeah. You know, this type of stain, you can't shout it out. Nope. This stain has to be cleansed. Yes. And there's only one thing that will cleanse it. The That's blood. the blood. Yes. Isaiah the prophet said, come now and let us reason together. Let us communicate. Uh -huh. There's a difference between us. Let us talk it out. Yes. 
saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, which is a bright red, they shall be as white as snow. Now don't ask me how you can wash something that's red and it comes out white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, that's a deeper red. It's almost purple. It's so deep. It's almost purple. He said they shall be as wool. I don't understand it. In other words, the blood of Jesus removes the stain of sin that was on our souls because we put it there. Yeah. We put that sin on our souls. And it gives us a truly new beginning and a fresh start in life. How many things can do that for you? And that's why when we're cleansed by the blood of Christ for the first time, it's referred to as being born again. When we accept Christ, we accepted his blood sacrifice. Yes. And through that blood sacrifice, we were justified, made yes. righteous and reconciled back to God. Yes. And he says, you're born again. Yes. You know, Nicodemus didn't understand it. He says, how can I be born again? Shall I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, no, no, no. He, he says, you're thinking carnal. I'm talking spiritual. Okay. We got a new lease on life. We're born again. It's the start of a new life, but now it's free from sin. Yes. And another thing that the blood of Christ provides us is entrance into the presence of God. You can't go into the presence of God without the blood. You got to have the blood when you go into the yes. presence of God. And when we pray, it's got to be more than just sending words into the atmosphere. Amen. Yes. That's what people do that don't have a relationship with God. That's what religious people do. Yeah. They just send their words into the atmosphere. They don't know if they're going to be heard or not. Mm -hmm. But our God says when we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we'll have the petitions that we desire of him. Yes. He hears us. Yes. He not only hears us, but he answers us. So we, we got to do more than just release our prayers into the atmosphere, yeah. not knowing where they're going or what their destination is or if they're going to make it. We need to take our prayers and bring them right into the presence of God. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And that's what I do, I, I, I like to say, almost every morning, but not every morning, because like on a Sunday morning, I have a short version of that because I had to study and get ready for church. But every morning, yeah. I take my prayers into the throne room of God. Yes. Yes. And I present my prayers in his presence. Yes. I don't take chances of it just going up in the air and getting lost, lost in the ether waves. I take them into the Holy of Holies. Amen. And because of the blood of Christ, we're, we're able to not only enter his presence, but we're, in, we're able to enter boldly into his presence. Yes. With confidence, knowing of an assurity that the blood of Jesus gives us access yes. to that presence. It's like a backstage pass at a concert of a famous whoever. Amen. You get that backstage pass, you have access to, to things that other people don't have access to. Well, when you go in with that blood, you get access to the very throne room of God. No religion does that. So we enter boldly into the throne room of God and go before the throne of, of grace that our Father God sits upon. And because of the blood, you're able to walk right up to the throne of the Heavenly Father, jump up in his lap, and empty your heart out. Yes. Yes. Right there in person, face yes. to face. Yes. Yes. Tell him what you need. Amen. And he's not only your father because of the blood, but now he's your Abba Father. And that is a term of endearment. Abba means that, I mean, you can't get no closer than that. Yes. It's talking about a real close relationship. Abba actually means daddy, daddy. Yes. Yes. Jump up on his lap, say, daddy, daddy. Yes. Hallelujah. I need something. It's not so much with my kids anymore, but my grandchildren used to do that. And I'm telling you, when they did, they got whatever they wanted. Is that right, Ethan? That's right. I'd give them whatever I had. 
I give my wallet with my MasterCard in it. How much more will God do there for us? The privilege and honor of having the presence of God in your life was purchased for you with the shedding of Christ's blood. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So every day we should take time to thank him for that privilege and that honor to go into his presence. Thank him for the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that was made on Calvary's cross. It's the greatest backstage pass you could ever get. And when he was tied to that Roman whipping post and beaten beyond recognition, Isaiah described it vividly. He said in the 52nd chapter, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured that he hardly even seemed human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Not only could they not recognize it being Jesus, they couldn't even recognize it being a man. They didn't know if it was a man or a woman. That's how disfigured his face was. And the way that happened is that cat and nine tails, when it was what you, a cast or whatever, well, it would it would hit his back, come around, yes. hook into his face, and be pulled back. Yes. And his whole, his face and his back and, and a lot of his chest was just hamburger meat. It looked like hamburger. You couldn't tell. Not only it was Jesus, you couldn't tell if it was a human. And he took that for us. Yes, he did. So now we can say, by his stripes, we are are healed. By his stripes. Is it God's will to heal us? Look at that wicked post and what he went through and tell me if it's God's will. So when a Roman soldier jammed that thorn of crowns on his head, and when they nailed him to that cross and pierced his side, all his blood flowed to the ground. And when it did, it justified us. It made us righteous. It it reconciled us back to God, just as if we'd never sinned. And now we can quote Psalms 103 and say with confidence, He forgiveth all our iniquities, He healeth all our diseases. That's what he did at the whipping post and the cross. In Hebrews 12, 24, and I'm getting ready to close. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We studied about Abel's blood, how it cried out from the ground, cried out for vengeance, and, and really cried out for justification. So when you're born again and his blood has been applied to your life, then that blood begins to speak on your behalf of a better covenant based upon better promises. And there's a shaking coming. I can feel the rumble now. There's a shaking. And when judgment comes, it comes to the house of God first. And a shaking is coming. You better make sure you're in the right kingdom because God's kingdom is unshakable. Yes. Everything else is going to be shaken. Can be shaken is going to be shaken. Yes. So there's a shaking coming upon this sick, sin sick world, and when it does, you better make sure that the blood is applied to your life. I don't care if it's by sprinkling. I don't care if it's by drawing over your doors and and window. I don't care how you apply it. It better be applied to your life because that's the only thing going to keep the death angel away from your house. And then you have to have that blood speaking on your behalf so that you're not shaken when the tests and the trials and tribulations begin to come. Now, I don't believe we're going through the tribulation, but we're going to see tribulation before this thing is over with. We're getting ready to go into a worldwide revival. I don't know if the shaking is coming before or after that, but the shaking is coming and everything that can be shaken is going to be shook. 
Hebrews 12, 27 says, And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. After the shaken, there's going to be removing of those things. Ooh, I could preach right now. Oh, you don't think you want me to. I could tell you who's going to be shaken and where they're going to go. But he says the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I'm telling you, when this shaking is over, you better be the one standing. You better be the one remaining. And the only reason you will be is because the blood. Because you, you had the blood applied to your life. Hallelujah. He that could have been justified refused to do it, but he did it for us. Took his justification and used it on us. Yes. I mean, it don't get no better than that. We did everything wrong. We did the sinning. And he took the penalty for it. I'm trying to think of that poem if I can, so I'm not going to try to butcher it. He paid a price that we couldn't pay. Amen. 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 Yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. God, we're so grateful for the blood of Jesus. We're so grateful that you had a plan from the foundations of the earth. Yes. And Jesus was included in that plan. That you planned all along to provide for us a lamb. A perfect sacrifice. You showed us pictures of it, but we didn't see it. When Abraham went to slay his only, only son by birth, when he went to slay his only son, it was a picture and a type of you slaying your son for us. You slayed your own son for us. And Lord, because of that blood, we can come boldly into your throne room. Because of that blood, we have access. We have access to the Holy of Holies. We can come into your very presence because of the blood. That blood is the best backstage pass that any man could ever be given, any woman could ever be given, because it gives us access to things that no one else has access to. And you did it willingly. You did it because you loved us. And while we're shaking our fists at you, you're hanging on a cross. And you're saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. When we were ugly, you received us. When we were sinners, you received us. And you loved us in spite of ourselves. And we understand that now. We just want a bigger revelation. More enlightenment on the blood and the power thereof. So we thank you that it's been given to us. Lord, teach us how to use it and apply it properly to every situation and circumstance that we come upon. There is nothing that the blood cannot give us victory over. So we give you the glory and the honor for it. And we thank you for it. We're so ever, forever grateful for the blood, Lord. Forever grateful. We will speak of the blood boldly. We will preach of the blood boldly. We will sing of the blood boldly. We will not deny the power of the blood and the, and the cost of what Jesus did for us. So we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 You know, when people go to court for certain things, the one thing they're seeking is justification. And you know, when we pray for court cases, and we do that quite a bit, we always pray that justice prevails. You can't pray against God's will. He's not going to do anything under the table. He's not going to pay a judge off or anything. We pray for his will to prevail, yes. but we pray for favor. Yes. If there's any any wiggle room here, Lord, we pray that it leans in their faith. And we pray for the right uh, judges uh, to be on that bench to make sure we get justice. We're looking yes. for justification. We want to be justified in what we did or what we're trying to do. Yes. And if we get that justification from that judge, 
then we win the case. And Jesus gave us that justification. Yes, we won the case. Yes. And that's why when the devil comes to you with a temptation, yes. you just look him in the eye and say, I plead the blood. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk to me. Because right. now I plead the fifth. Hallelujah. All you got to do is plead the blood and you're justified. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even if you were wrong, you're justified. Because yes. he paid the price for Glory. that. Hallelujah. 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 This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.